Our text this morning comes from 1 Samuel 7, the verses 3 to 17. Since we've already read that together, we won't do so again now. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever put all your eggs in one basket? As the common saying goes, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And in general, it's a, it's a wise saying. Think of this in terms of investing money. It's often wise to invest in several areas at once. That way, if one area goes south, it's not a total loss. You still have other assets in play. Balance saves the day. But there are other times when it's a very good idea to place all your eggs in one basket. Think of literal eggs and literal baskets. Let's imagine you have four baskets. One is a nice, new, strong wicker basket. The other three are old. One has a, has a broken handle. One has holes in the bottom. And one looks like it's completely rotting through. If you put your eggs in these three old baskets, your eggs are going to go splat. So when is it a good idea to place all your eggs in one basket? Well, it's when safety and security are guaranteed in that basket. And there is no area of life where this is more true than with God. Whom do you trust? Whom do you serve? If you place your trust in idols, in these three baskets, you'll, you'll self-destruct quicker than the eggs just smashed on the concrete. But in the Lord, and in the Lord alone, there is safety, security, and ultimately, there is salvation. This is something that the Old Testament Israelites had to learn. In 1 Samuel 7, the Israelites finally put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. For the past 20 years, they had been lamenting after the Lord, but still serving other gods. They had kept their eggs in a few different baskets. When they gather at Mizpah and the Philistines draw near to attack, they face a difficult question. Will they trust in the Lord alone to save them, or will they turn to the foreign gods to help? This morning, we'll see that they finally learn to trust in the Lord alone. We'll see how the Lord graciously leads them to this place of trust and how he responds by delivering them from the hands of the Philistines. And we'll see through all of this that the Lord works through the ministry of the last judge, Samuel. And that brings us to our theme for this morning. The Lord delivers his repentant people through the intercession of the last judge. First, we'll see the judge who prophesies, second, the judge who prays, and third, the judge who presides. First, the judge who prophesies. In chapter 6, as we saw a few weeks ago, the Lord graciously returned the ark to Israel from Philistia. But when the Israelites did not properly honor God's holiness, the Lord struck down 70 of them. So the ark went to Kiriath-Jerim for 20 years as a temporary sort of solution. But 20 years is a long time. 
And there's no sign that anything is going to change. In fact, Israel was still serving idols. So although the ark of the Lord had returned, the Israelites, for their part, had not returned to worship the Lord alone. But in verse 2, there's a flicker of good news. All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. For the Israelites, this might not have felt like good news. But for us, who read about 3,000 years later, we can recognize this lamentation as an early sign of repentance. Then we're introduced to Samuel the prophet. Actually, we're reintroduced. In, in chapter 3, which we looked at a number of weeks ago as well, we met Samuel as a boy in the temple at Shiloh. By the end of the chapter, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. But Samuel has been off stage since then. So when he steps onto the stage again now, we can expect that the Lord will do something significant through him. Well, what does the prophet Samuel have to say to the Israelites? If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So as a prophet, Samuel does the job of a prophet. He calls God's people to repent. Over the course of the Old Testament, God often sent prophets to call his people back to him. They did so by, by pointing to God's law and showing where the Israelites had turned away from it. At the same time, the prophets pointed ahead to the main act to follow, the chief prophet and teacher, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus began his ministry... He also calls God's people to repentance. In Matthew 4, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, he preaches about obedience to the law. He explains that obedience comes from the heart. So our, our Lord Jesus, like Samuel, commands us to repent. And so we can pay special attention to how Samuel teaches Israel what that looks like. He says, put away the foreign gods and serve him only. Now this might sound a little familiar to us. Samuel's pointing Israel back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Just last week in Lord's Day 34, we learned that God's people must trust in him alone, the only true God. Samuel also says, direct your heart to the Lord. And this also might sound familiar, because in Lord's Day 33, two weeks ago, we learned that repentance involves heartfelt sorrow and heartfelt joy. Samuel gives the same message, repent from the heart. Even though the people of Israel were lamenting after the Lord, they still put some trust in foreign gods and in Ashtaroth. They showed signs of repentance, but held on to the idols just in case. Can you spot the same pattern in your own life? 
When we come before the Lord in true repentance, we must break entirely from our false gods. There's no putting eggs in broken baskets. We must turn our hearts to the Lord alone and put away, flee from the idols that our hearts create. As the Lord Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What will happen if the Israelites serve the Lord only? Samuel gives a prophetic promise. He says, if you truly repent, the Lord will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So after 20 long years, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. These words spread through all Israel. Did you hear what the prophet Samuel said? We have to trust the Lord alone. And if we do, he'll deliver us from the Philistines. And then the, the flicker of good news that we saw earlier catches full flame. The people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they serve the Lord only. As the message went out, the people responded one by one. He examined his own heart, she put away her own idols, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel speaks again, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. His call to repentance had come to each person, and now he speaks to the whole nation as a group. And once again, the Israelites obey. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba came to Mizpah. Some of them would have had to travel around 80 miles. So they went to great lengths to show true repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul teaches us a little bit more what repentance looks like. He says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief is directed towards the Lord alone, who alone can save. The people of Israel, for their part, experienced godly grief which led them to repent together at Mizpah. They say there, we have sinned against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can also reflect on how our personal sins affect the whole congregation. God's people here in Redeemer. Do the idols of our own hearts also live among the rest of the congregation? Do we in some ways encourage these idols to, to live among us? Perhaps we speak together in a worldly way about our careers, our possessions, or our homes. Each Sunday morning, after we read the law, we come before the Lord in a prayer of confession. We confess our personal sins, but we do so together as God's people. The Lord has bound us together, and so we also live repentant lives together. This can encourage us to, to walk alongside one another in our efforts to fight sin and to remind one another about the joy of God's forgiveness. And at this point in our text, we, we begin to see the good news of the gospel. For Samuel, the calling to speak as prophet is joined together with the calling to serve him as judge. Because in verse 6, we read that Samuel was also a judge. 
God raised him up not only to call Israel to repent, but to save Israel from their enemies. Boys and girls, can you think of anyone who was both a prophet and a savior to God's people? That's right, the Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus calls us to repent of our sin, but he also offers to us the promise of salvation. Our Lord does not abolish the law and the prophets, but he perfectly obeys and fulfills them. So we must confess our sins, but we can also trust that our Lord Jesus saves us from them. Where we do not obey God's law, our Lord Jesus has done so for us. And that brings us to our second point, the judge who prays. So the people of Israel had faithfully obeyed the commands of Samuel. They had put away the foreign gods and directed their hearts to the Lord alone. They had gathered at Mizpah in confession where Samuel would pray for them. By all their actions, they had proven that their inward repentance was true. But suddenly they face a test of their transformed hearts. When, <clears throat> when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So if we think about this from the Philistine perspective, the gathering of all Israel and Mizpah might have seemed a little suspicious. Was Israel mustering her troops to attack? Or perhaps the Philistines thought, they're all in one place. Here's the perfect opportunity to wipe them out once for all. The Israelites were afraid. Only 20 years earlier, the Philistines had slaughtered many of them and captured the ark. Perhaps the foreign gods and the Asherah were looking pretty good right about now. They had only just turned to the Lord alone. It would have been habit to turn back to the idols. It's pretty hard to break a habit, isn't it? They faced a choice. Would they trust in the Lord alone or would they turn to the idols again? Well, their response is to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. In a moment of national crisis, the Israelites prove that their repentance was true. They trust in the Lord our God, they say. And by repenting truly, they also prove the riches of God's grace. On their own, the Israelites would not have repented any more than we would in our own strength. The Lord had raised up a prophet to direct his people back to him, and he had worked in them heartfelt repentance. God's grace powerfully brings hopeless, unfaithful hearts to repent and trust in him. And at this point, all eyes are on Samuel. He takes a, a nursing lamb and offers it, offers it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. A burnt offering would make atonement for the one who offered it. And in Samuel's case, he offers it along with cries for deliverance. With the burnt offering, he seems to ask, 
Forgive your people their sins for the sake of this lamb. Samuel intercedes for the people. Then events seem to, to run in slow motion. At this very moment, the Philistines draw near to attack. Perhaps they're rushing towards Mizpah, archers at the ready, swords drawn, eyes on Israel. Perhaps the Israelites had quickly formed battle lines, looking ahead to the approaching Philistines, but also casting glances back towards Samuel and his sacrifice. And at the center of the crisis, Samuel lifts his heart, his voice, his eyes to the Lord. Would the Lord accept his burnt offering? Would he accept the repentance of his people? Would he respond to Samuel's cries on their behalf? The Lord answered him. The Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. The Lord thundered. That's a theme that runs through the book of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Samuel's mother Hannah had prayed, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. In 2 Samuel 22, King David speaks about the Lord's deliverance. And we also sang from that in Psalm 18. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. So in our text, all eyes had been on Samuel. But even more importantly, all the eyes of Israel had been on the Lord. Because even though our text is about Samuel, our text points most clearly to our God. The Lord fights for his people. In this battle, the Lord had raised up Samuel to intercede for Israel. Samuel was a judge and a prophet who also prayed. And so in some ways, he also acted as a priest before God. And in the same way, the Lord has raised up someone to intercede for us before our enemies. The Lord Jesus is not only a prophet, but also our great high priest. During his time on earth, we often read that our Lord went somewhere alone to pray. What was he praying for? Well, in a couple passages, we're told that he specifically prayed for his people. In Luke 22, he tells Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In John 17, we read what has become known as our Lord's high priestly prayer. He prays to his Father about his people. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And along with his prayers, the Lord Jesus also offered a sacrifice. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Where Samuel offers a nursing lamb as a whole burnt offering, our Savior offered himself for our sin. Brothers and sisters, what a great high priest we have, strong to help, supreme to save. The Israelites had said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. And Samuel did not cease to cry out to God for Israel. How much more will our Savior unceasingly cry out to his Father for us? In Hebrews 7, verse 25, we read, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost, completely, those who trust in the Lord alone. Samuel acted as an intercessor at Mizpah, but our Lord Jesus acts as an intercessor at all times. He never ceases to cry out to the Lord our God for us. So brothers and sisters, look only to your high priest. The Lord accepts our repentant prayers because of the perfect sacrifice and intercession of our Lord Jesus. If we trust in him alone, direct our hearts to him alone, he will deliver us for the sake of our Lord. Are you in distress of any kind? Are you in a season of hard spiritual warfare? Are evil and temptation drawing near to attack you? Cry out to your great high priest and know that he is crying out to his father for you. What confidence this gives us in prayer. Sometimes, if we're honest, our prayers don't seem very powerful, very helpful. We might pray the same thing for days, months, years, and it doesn't feel like our God hears us or rescues us from our troubles. It doesn't seem that we see his salvation the same way Israel did. Brothers and sisters, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The enemy may be drawing near and you might be afraid, but the Lord Jesus, who died for you, guarantees that your prayers are heard and are perfected. He cries out to his Father, to your Father, for you. Our God always hears the prayers of his distressed saints, and he answers. He comes to our rescue. The battle belongs to the Lord, and he thunders from heaven against our enemies. We might not hear that thunder or see any confused Philistines around us, but we can look to the cross and find confidence in the victory that our Lord won there. Because of Christ's complete victory over the devil, our Lord already has thundered against our enemy. So congregation, take courage and arm yourselves for this battle. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the schemes of the devil. By God's power, the evil one is defeated before us. And that brings us now to our third point, the judge who presides. For their part, 
the Israelites, he makes sure that everyone else is. The Lord leads his people. The Lord is the true judge of his people. He has helped them until now. He can and he, he the king and so on. And as long as Samuel was judged, the Israelites remained faithful. It's only when Samuel dies and stood enemy. It's by the Holy Spirit that our judge leads us to true repentance. By the Holy Spirit, our judge leads us to pray to our Father through his intercession. By the Holy Spirit, our judge lives among us. So brothers and sisters, have you, will you put all your eggs in one basket? We've been given so much reason to do so. It's not that we won't be afraid at times. It might still be tempting to put some of our eggs into the other three baskets. But the Lord has helped us until now. We can see how he delivered the Israelites at Mizpah. We can see how he delivered us at Golgotha. And we can be sure that he will always deliver us. If we put all our eggs in one basket, if we trust the Lord alone, the Lord will provide for us through the intercession and the power of the last judge, the Lord Jesus, who prophesies to us, prays for us, and presides among us. And let's close with this amazing comfort. There will be a day when we will see him with our own eyes. Our Lord Jesus will return in the flesh, in glory, and forever crush the power of the evil one. He is already present among us now by his spirit. But one day he'll return in the flesh to live with us, his people. On that day, the evil one will no longer draw near to attack us. We'll never again be afraid. Because when our Lord returns, he will cast all his and our enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take you and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. The Lord Jesus will take us to his eternal home where he will preside forever. Amen. Let's respond to the word of the Lord with joy and thanksgiving by singing from hymn 40, the verses 1, 3, 4, and 5.